I'm learning new things all the time about how to put down the key. And but it's it's not so much about how to be able to play pieces because I can pretty much play whatever. But it's about making it more efficient, more and more efficient, oh. and mm-hmm. and and just sort of I don't want to say wasting less time because no time spent with this incredible music is truly wasted, but you find these ways to streamline your technique and get the closer more quickly to the ideal that you hear. I'm talking to Michael Shepard today. He's a pianist, composer, and a conductor. It's wonderful meeting you here on Zoom. Yeah, you too. Well, you're a very busy man because you're a pianist, you're a conductor, you're a composer, and then I hear you sing as well. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> How did you hear that? No. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I do too many things probably, but piano is still the main one. Uh, it's yeah. just re- in recent years. Singing has always just been something for fun, and I'll do a cabaret here and there. And uh, it started out just playing for open mics and then random cabaret shows for others. And then I, a friend of mine a few years ago asked if I would like to sing a duet show with her. Uh, and and I, and I thought, well, yeah. So I, I started taking voice lessons again. I hadn't taken them since, I guess, my freshman year at, at Peabody in undergrad, uh, where it was required for pianists to take voice lessons. Uh, and so I, I basically did that just because if I'm going to be singing suddenly this much after not having sung for a long time, I wanted to be sure I was doing it in such a way that it didn't mess my voice up or doing uh, unhealthy habits or, or whatever. But um, anyway, it's still it was it was just a side note, but I did uh, sort of re-fall in love with that. But the main thing, it's piano. And then I'm trying to do more conducting, which is a giant hurdle to try to get pass you know do you find your own group and form your own group do you try to go the education route or you know audition for things whether or not you've done that before and it's just it's a whole thing but um so sorry, conducting, <laughs> yeah but so you you have to um is it is it very important to go and study conducting or is it something that you can sort of acquire, you know, like uh, with experience? Well, both. I've been playing for the Peabody conducting class and also other various conducting workshops since 1999. And so therefore I've been around it a lot. And I've seen great conducting and I've seen terrible conducting. No, I'm not, I'm not even talking about like as a student, of course, we we all start out very uh, as beginners, clearly, and uh, and so I don't I don't mean terrible in that way. Excuse me, yeah. I mean we we can all be learning all the time. But uh, I've noticed that conducting, <laughs> probably more than any other musical endeavor, is the one that can be faked at a to a high level. Like you can oh, really? you can sort of not be a great musician and get very far. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unfortunate that that's the case, but just just because you're not the one making the sound, right? And so you just confidence goes a long way, even you know. And and so people, the musicians can always tell, of course, in the orchestra, the musicians are like, all right, this person's a hack, um, and I hear it from them a lot. Not not about me, but just you know, we're talking about conductors, yeah. and uh, yeah. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but that you that you think that you have to go and study, you know, that you have. To oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's probably the most legitimate 
route. Uh, I and and conducting workshops are also a thing. If you're not going to do a degree program somewhere, for instance, there's you know the one that, that I play for at Peabody. That's a degree program. It's a graduate degree. And I remember I spoke with Marin about this a few years ago when I wanted to when I knew I wanted to explore conducting more. And she already knew me a bit because I'd been playing for the class. Uh, and she had only been teaching at that class for a couple of years, but then she started hiring me at Cabrillo festival in California. And then this festival she was doing at the time in Sao Paulo. Uh, and, and so we had enough history where it wasn't like out of the blue. And so I asked her what I, what she thought I should do. And I said, do you think I should go back to school? Which in my head, I was like, please say no, because I cannot think of anything I would like to do less than reinsert myself into academia. Um, for various reasons, but, uh, she said, no, 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 don't go back to school. Uh, try. And she was shooting out all these ideas. Like, can you form your own ensemble? Have you thought of musical theater conducting? And I'm like, huh, so interesting because I do love musical theater. I mean, to go back to this cabaret thing, but I also know that people do this thing where they pigeonhole you and you, they see you doing one thing. And that's suddenly the thing that you are doing only. And at that, not only that, that's the only thing you want to do. For instance, uh, like to put a pin in that, like I'm going to say it's, it actually has happened to me in terms of collaborative work because I do a lot of that since I'm a good reader and I can learn music quickly. Um, but people see me doing that and they think, Oh, you're, you just want to be a collaborative pianist. Whereas I'm like, well, if concerto gigs were falling out of the rafters, I would absolutely be taking them. Uh, luckily this season I do have, uh, three concertos and I'm very happy about it. Uh, so I don't know. It's just, it's this human, I am assuming it's a human trait to sort of do that to like no. pigeonhole, you know, do you see, they see you doing the thing and they're like, Oh, that's the thing he does. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yes, music school, <laughs> that's a long, long answer, I hope. But yeah, conducting workshops aside from music degree programs are probably the way to go. And I'm trying to do some of those too, aside from playing for them, which is something I've been doing okay. forever. Yeah, but you, but when you compose, do you, do you then um, conduct the orchestra yourself or if, if, if it's your own work? Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, if I ever complete an orchestra work of my own, then oh, okay. ideally that would, that would happen. Uh, putting together a group seems like such a daunting task, unless you have a lot of money and you can just like throw money at people and like, of course, they'll just drop everything and come, you know, and play in an orchestra for you. Yeah. But that's, I did not come from money and I'm doing fine by myself, but that's anyway, it seems like a kind of daunting task, but as a composer so far, I've just written sort of piano and chamber music and that sort oh, of okay. thing. Um, mm-hmm. I've started a couple of orchestra pieces, but composing, although it is the primary lens through which I approach everything and everyone else's music, it's funnily enough, the one way that I haven't really <laughs> made it any money at all, uh, which is fine. I mean, like I still am very enriched by it. Um, but it's just basically when I have time, which oh, okay. depends on the week, you know, but so you, so when you say a piano is now your thing, so this is, um, and, and you do then solo concerts as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now it's been during the pandemic, obviously I wasn't doing anything. Nobody was, but I did, uh, in the pandemic, I at least, Part, partly as a giving me something to do, but also partly because I needed income because <laughs> it, it's yeah. very disconcerting to watch every single gig disappear within 48 hours. And meanwhile, realizing, well, 
my rent isn't going to disappear and my electric bills and my, what, what all the things, you know? Yeah. Um, and so as a pivot along those lines, I decided to start a Patreon, which is just kept me practicing. Cause I would just put piano videos up and I still have that, which I'm very happy about. Um, and I started doing audiobook narrating in the pandemic, which is also something really? I had been looking at, uh, yeah. because I'd been getting into acting and stuff. Uh, and, and so, but uh, basically out of nowhere, a friend of mine who is a musician, her day, day job, her main gig is as a musician, but she writes these, uh, these gay romance novels on the side. It's like a whole genre I didn't even know about. And she's like, she reached out to me and said, I think you might be good for this. And she knew that I had been looking at doing that kind of thing already. And so I just jumped right in with, uh, having to learn how to operate a, a DAW and, and figure out, uh, what do I, you know? how to record on audacity and all this stuff. So, uh, that was, but that was a big pivot. <laughs> <laughs> but you seem to just do things. You just go for it. I, you know, I, I like to presume no limitation yeah. and both in myself and others. And it, because otherwise I'll just get in my head and I'll just be like, Oh, well, no, it's just going to be too much. Or I, I don't think I can do that. And my mom always taught me, growing up, you could do anything you set your mind to. And I never really questioned that. Mm -hmm. I, the, music was so satisfying in and of itself for so long that, I mean, the, the blessing and the curse of having played the piano since age two is that you get really good at it. That's the blessing. And the curse being that you never necessarily question it. And so, because I was just swimming in those waters my entire life. And it was only recently that I re literally like within the last four or five years where I said, Hey, there's other stuff I want to try, like conducting, like acting, uh, writing and composing have been something that I've always done and, and really loved, but I'm sorry. I like, I feel like I'm all over the place with my, like forgetting the question and like doing. No, 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 that's so interesting. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to actually ask you also, how did you start playing the piano? What was it about the piano that intrigued you? Well, I was two and so I don't have concrete memories other than like visual, like of, of, of the space where we lived, it was an apartment and it was my father's piano from when he had taken piano in college, just an upright, nothing fancy. I don't remember the brand offhand, but I found it one day and apparently began to play things that I was hearing on either TV commercials or the earliest memory I have of that is playing uh, a lot of John Williams because my mother was obsessed with the soundtracks of Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm -hmm. and Star Wars. And so we had those three LPs in the house uh, that she was constantly playing because she would paint to them. She's an artist. And, uh, and so that was some of the earliest stuff that I, that I found myself playing, apparently with both hands. I don't remember this at all. But, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they tell me my parents so have young. known. Yeah, well, they tried to they, they tried to stick me in lessons shortly after that, but that didn't take. I was apparently much more interested, excuse me, in riding my big wheel around the neighborhood, my kid bike. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was a thing in the eighties in America, but uh, late seventies, early eighties. Anyway, that didn't take until a couple years later when I was either seven or eight. I don't exactly remember, but I do remember it had to be one of those two years because it was the only two years where I was in this particular school. And 
I found a piano somewhere in the school and during my lunch or something. And the piano teacher, the music teacher at that school sort of came up behind me and, and took me under her wing. And she became my first music teacher. And funnily enough, many years later, when I was graduating from my undergraduate at Peabody, maybe master's, I don't remember, within a couple of years, like 1999 or so, my family put together a big party for my graduation. Total surprise party. had no idea what was going on. And at this party were not only both sides of my family, which hadn't seen each other since my parents had divorced at around seven or eight. Um, but not only them, but my very first piano teacher and the one that she sent me to after that. And what I don't mm-hmm. remember that she reminded me of or told me about is that you were only very, uh, very short time with me because you were progressing so quickly that I felt like it was out of my depth and I had to pass you on to somebody who would be sort of more suitable for the levels you were reaching. And I apparently also was playing like four part hymns out of the hymnal, uh, kind of early on without, uh, I don't remember. I, I, I do remember sort of doing that, but the trajectory isn't exactly clear in my head, but it was interesting to hear that from her, you know, and be like, yeah. and, and to have the second teacher there corroborating, like, yeah, you were with her for like six months or something like that, where it felt like years to me because I was so young and, oh, yeah. and just, mm. you know, swimming in this world that I knew nothing about. <laughs> so, but then you must be very comfortable in front of the piano. I mean, is it, is it for you challenging to play or do you find pieces that's challenging to play? Yeah. I mean, my journey with the piano is seemingly never ending. And just like my journey with music, which is obviously bigger, but includes the piano, uh, physically I'm learning new things all the time about how to put down the key. And, but it's, it's not so much about how to be able to play pieces because I can pretty much play whatever, but it's about making it more efficient, more and more efficient. Oh. And, mm-hmm. and, and just sort of, I don't want to say wasting less time because no time spent with this incredible music is truly wasted, but you find these ways to streamline your technique and get the closer more quickly to the ideal that you hear. My teacher at Peabody, Leon uh, Fleischer, talked about technique in terms of all technique really is, is the shortest distance between your intention and the sound. And the closer that is, that's the more mastery you have. And so I'm just these days just trying to find those, trying to narrow that gap more and more and more consciously. But yeah, I feel, I feel very comfortable in front of the piano in general. I mean, there are certain pieces that still are terrifying, uh, but but only in the con- only in the sense of like we get we're just afraid of missing notes and that kind of thing. And it, it, oh, yeah. it, it was just in a way of the most boring thing to be worried about. But it's just sort of drummed into us from such an early age that it has to be accurate and and all this. And I know how to practice toward that. But I think more importantly is the musical story that you're telling and the shape of the work and the character and all these things. And a few missed notes here and there. It's like that Beethoven quote, or it's attributed to Beethoven where he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it said something like, it doesn't matter if you, you know, how many notes you, if you play all the right notes, but if you play without passion, it's inexcusable or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I, I don't take that to mean you should be flailing about and doing all this stuff. I actually have a very sort of quiet body approach to the piano. 
because I prefer to put my energy into the piano rather than into the air around me or whatever. But, uh, you know, to, to each their own. I know some people that are very successful doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just always evolving. It's always uh, something new every day. But do you play um, different genres then? Or do you just play classical? Oh, no, I love... I mean, it's mostly classical, but I do a lot of cabaret I do. I don't really do jazz. And I would never claim to be a jazz pianist unless you really widen the definition of that word to the like, freest oh, okay. form possible. You know, I basically just use my ears. Whenever I play a cabaret, I, I know what the melody is, and I'll just harmonize to the best of my ear's ability. Now, it won't necessarily be all jazzy and have ninth and seventh chords and all this stuff. I, do I don't like lead sheets that much, so I do prefer to sort of look at a score and, uh, and sort of reduce it as I will, as just sort of like, just an improvised sort of whatever around what I'm seeing. Um, but yeah, apart from those two, I do a lot of new music, which I mean, is still classical, but these days everyone's sort of writing everything. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I sh don't love music that doesn't have melody in some way. I, it's harder to relate. I can, you know, because it's all just, again, the composer in me comes out and sort of tries to make sense of it and wonders, okay, why is that there? How, how do I grapple with this? Uh, why, you know, that sort of thing. But I guess that's it. I don't do a lot of pop unless it's that somebody brings it to an open mic or something like that. Oh, okay. But now I, I always wonder uh, with, with musicians, uh, do you have a, specific relationship uh, to the music of a specific um, composer. There must be a feeling where when you play that you feel, hey, I totally get this or, or this really speaks to me. Is there a composer that you feel or, or composers that you feel um, about the music that way? Yes. I. So I have two answers for that. One is that the Again, the composer in me basically deals with whatever's in front of me in the same way. And the idea is that I get out of the way as much as possible and be as transparent to the material as I can be. And so in that sense, it kind of doesn't matter what's in front of me. And in the moment, I will resonate with all of it equally. However, there are music that I prefer to see in front of me less. <laughs> oh, okay. so, yeah. so that like, for instance, I don't love accompanying um, chuck, um, chuck, um, chuck kind of, you know, bel canto type accompaniments or like Paganini concertos, which are just to take any one example that are based on sort of bel canto ideas of where the voice is everything. And then the, the, whatever is going on in the background is like, and it's usually like three harmonies and they're not that interesting in my humble but accurate opinion. Um, that was a line from my, from my ear training teacher that I, and I steal and use regularly. But uh, the other answer, the second answer is Brahms. I love Brahms so much. Uh, like if I had to pick one, you know, people ask me, what's your favorite composer? And I'm, I give them the first answer. like, well, whatever's in front of me. But then Brahms always makes me happy. And there's something so incredibly beautiful about it. But at the same time, you can take it apart at the level of interval and, and structure and just, it's perfect. It's just perfect and perfectly balanced. 
And yet, again, you don't have to know anything about that. You can just listen to this beautiful music and <laughs> be unaware of how incredibly crafted it is. But now, do you do accompaniment as well for singers? Yeah, and that's part of the thing, the pigeonholing thing that happens, you know, just because I, I've always been a good sight reader, or at least pretty early on, I became a good sight reader. And so you, you learn people's repertoire, and then once they know that you know it, they call you, you know, if, if they like your playing, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and so I do, by default, do a lot of that. And I do love it. I mean, again, the composer of me loves whatever's in front of me. And I'm not saying I love every composer equally, like I said, but I need to give it its due diligence and give it, do it justice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I do a lot of playing for singers. Uh, I instrument, violin, saxophone, trombone. Again, there are certain repertoire. I, don't, <laughs> I prefer to play over others, but uh, yeah, I, I do a lot of singing mm -hmm. collaboration. Because some, um, uh, I've spoken to a few pianists who said that this collaboration with with a, with singers is is quite special. Mm. Is that true for you well, as well? Yeah, I mean it can be, and it really just depends on on the level of what they're bringing to the table. I mean, of course, the repertoire, but there's so much great song repertoire that it really does become about how. I sort of gel with whatever they're doing. And if, and hopefully for better or worse, I hear the page very exactly. And I'm always shooting for that ideal in myself, in my own practicing. Right. And so when you get with someone else, you have no idea where they're coming from uh, until you hear them. And hopefully they far, they fall somewhere within the parameters <laughs> of what I would find personally acceptable for any given piece. And sometimes, and of course, you know, you can, you can move things a bit and, and, you know, you have to be flexible. Obviously if someone, you know, someone can do something that you hadn't thought of. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, that's a great idea. Oh my God. I didn't know. Or they know something about the piece that then informs how they sing a certain passage that I didn't necessarily know uh, and that I wouldn't do because the music dictates something else, but the text dictates something else. Uh, and so there's that sort of flexibility within it too. Uh, if it's too far out the pale, if they're, if they're singing something like in a manner that I think is completely wrong for the style, then you just start to do triage and, you know, remember that for next time. <laughs> uh, okay. But I try not to work, you know, I, 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 I give everyone the benefit of the doubt and, mm. uh, I, I try not to be too much of a, of a jerk <laughs> as far as like presenting my own opinions. because again, they're very specific and therefore very strong. Yeah. And, uh, and so it, it, I've not really, I can't think of any bad experiences I've ever had with, uh, okay. with a singer such that I wouldn't mm -hmm. want to work with them again. Um, yeah, nothing's coming to mind, but yeah, it's great. It's great repertoire. It's great. It's the voice is a wonderful thing. And to, to be able to sort of make music with it is, is beautiful. But now, and teaching, do you do teaching as well? Actually, not as much as I would like. I love mm. teaching. I love doing master classes. Whenever I do one of these concerto tours, inevitably we build some sort of a master class into it uh, with whatever the local sort of community organizations are along those lines. And it's always so fun. And when I, I do coach 
instrumentalists at the Baltimore School for the Arts. And that is teaching and that is teaching music. It's just not teaching piano, uh. which is fine because I actually find that I love teaching music. Like all, all the stuff that I learned from, from Leon is so transcendent of mere instrument as to be completely applicable in not only you know wind and string instruments, but in singing, even in conducting because they're musical principles. And it, it's a very, it's a nice orienting feeling. It, it, it's like an orienting generalization. It tells me what my beginning parameters are and I can have firm footing for when I start. Uh, and then when I'm teaching someone, I can very quickly assess where they are and, or playing with someone even quite honestly, uh, where they're coming from and be able to sort of adjust as necessary and guide as necessary. And that's, of course, a dynamic process too. But yeah, teaching is great. Really? And, and you say specifically masterclasses. What is it about the masterclasses that you, is oh. it, is, no, is it because no. it's, it's uh, uh, musicians almost on a higher level? Um, Partially. I mean, masterclasses can be at any level. I prefer to only work on like actual music. I don't want to be teaching hot cross buns to, you know, five-year-olds. I'm, that's not mm -hmm. my wheelhouse. God bless those people who can do that because I do not have that level of patience. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I think it's, I only say master classes because I want the most people to hear it and, and gain something from it. My teacher used to do kind of old European style group lessons which amount to a mini masterclass each time. And I love that model. I wish more teachers would do that, frankly, because I, of course, scheduling is, it's very hard these days more and more because everyone, you know, ever have classes and we have assignments, we have this and that, but he would always say, look, you know, you're invited to attend all of your colleagues lessons. And I understand if you can't make it because you have a class or something like that, but come as often as you can. And of course we all would make, as much effort as we possibly could to do that because a, it was like transcendental revelatory teaching. I mean, along the lines of sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi, right. About music and B you discover that you're all sort of struggling with the same things on some level oh, yeah. and sometimes very exactly. Mm -hmm. And third, you actually learn the repertoire, whether or not you're playing something And you can also discover those problems that are inherent in one work that are also inherent or partially inherent in another work and how to deal with them. And so rather than just one hour a week, you and the teacher alone working on a piece, I mean, yeah, that has value, but I, I found this, this to be so much more valuable. I can and so that's why I say master class. Yeah, I can imagine that. And also, um, uh, it's it's like you say, the, uh, uh, the repertoire, but it's also then... Um, almost looking outside yourself at uh, problems, you know, that, that could have been yours at, uh, when you, when you are playing, I think this is amazing. I've never, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I'm sure there are other teachers that do that, but in at least the American model, what generally happens is you have one-on-one -on -one with your teacher one hour a week, and then you might have a studio class which is kind of a performance class within the studio where then like once a week, usually once a week, all the students from that teacher will get together and then, you know, four people will play or however long the class is. And, but it's just, the, the difference is just that, that Leon would do that all the time. Like every lesson was like that. 
And it just, it was so valuable. It was just, I couldn't imagine doing it any differently, but you know. But are there a lot of competition between the the musicians then in, in such an environment? There can be, that depends on your personal psychology. I think he was very good early on at sort of dispelling the idea that you have to be there to perform and show yourself and all this stuff that would inevitably happen. I mean, you're, you're of course showing yourself because you're there with the music and you're sort of demonstrating your understanding at, at that moment where you are at that moment with that piece. And he was very good at about making it not about us, but more about how to explore this music, this world this sound world uh, that these composers have created and how to be the best sort of spokesperson or ombudsman for the composer. Uh, and any sort of attempt to put your own spin on it or to do something that was like counter to the, what the composer had so painstakingly put down on the page was kind of looked at askance. And you, you, it was never, he would never, be mean about it, but you just be like, just put that away. Let's get to the music. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and it was so valuable to do, to do that too, because you, it just, to me, it cleared the path to discovering, like I said earlier, that you are all in fact working on similar issues and you might be at different levels or areas of understanding in any moment of, of, of learning, but, but it sort of leveled the playing field in a beautiful way. And so I don't think there was a lot of competition eventually, like maybe again, some people might've started out that way, but I, I don't think anybody in my class, my years were uh, okay. like that. But, but on the subject of competition, uh, but what is your opinion about uh, music competitions? You know, um, <laughs> That's do you think it's necessary? Uh, I wish it weren't. I feel, well, it's so sort of anathema to what I think everything in art ought to be about. I think there is a way to sort of thread that needle and still be authentic and still make it really all about the music, but it's difficult in many ways, but mainly I think because when you play for a jury, especially in these big international competitions, you're playing for 10 or 12 people who may have completely divergent views of how the music should go. And so therefore, if you play a certain way and one judge loves it, another judge will hate it and their scores will cancel each other out. And so very often what I see happening is that the people who get to high levels or who even win some of these competitions are very, very sort of middle of the road interpretively and don't really say much. Uh, I'm trying to find a kinder way of putting that, but it's, and it's not really through any fault of their own, but it's, just, it's that canceling that, that I, that I mentioned that happens. And unless you're like a stone cold genius that just blows everyone out of the water, like my, Martha Argerich in the Chopin competition way back when, for instance, or somebody like that that comes along where everyone is like, okay, I can put aside how I think the music should go <laughs> and, and just be in awe of this person's playing. That does happen. Um, these days, there are so many competitions that in a way they mean less. 
it's good. It's good in the sense that there are more opportunities to play and be heard. Um, but back when Leon, for instance, won the Queen Elizabeth competition in 1952, there were like five major international competitions. And so therefore it meant something. And the Queen of Belgium was, Queen Elizabeth was, yeah. they met and did a whole thing. And, you know, that doesn't really happen these days, as far as I know. Um, that said, I do think that if I had had less of a chip on my shoulder early on about, I hate competitions, they're totally anathema to everything music stands for, blah, blah, blah which I totally did. Uh, if I had had less of that, I might've done more of it, more competition playing. And then sort of, I like to think I wouldn't sort of cater my playing. I don't think I could ever cater my playing to any particular type of jury or anything like that. But again, it's threading that needle. It's how to do that in an artful way where I don't feel like I'm going against what I think the music needs to sound like. But yeah, competitions are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think but do you think for young um musicians it's important to sort of establish themselves or to to make a name for themselves or do you think that they can really just hone in on their personality and and their unique style of playing well it, i always to to go back to that whole idea earlier about when, when we would come to lessons, if we had some idea of with Leon about like, I want to play it this way because I feel like it. That was always sort of like, well, how about what the composer feels like? Why don't we, oh, why don't yeah. we start there? And then, and, you know, sort of try to uncover that and be a detective of that as much as possible. Now, regarding competitions versus sort of, I don't know, the entrepreneurial route or social media or whatever route, um, I think more and more these days, people are just sort of putting themselves out there. And to the degree you play your own music or you improvise or, or a songwriter or whatever, then carte blanche, you could just do whatever you want, right? You can, you can make your music sound to like however you want your music to sound like because it is your music, right? If you're playing Beethoven or playing Bach or something like that, unless you're very clear on like, I'm doing... I'm doing a pastiche on this or excuse me, I'm doing uh, a transcription or like a, a, a pop version or whatever. If you're, if you're marketing yourself as playing Beethoven sonatas, like authentic Beethoven style, and you start doing all kinds of weird stuff that, that I have a problem with. Um, I don't know. But again, you know, others might like it. I just worry about a sort of slippery slope idea of like people forgetting more and more what, the actual thing can be in all of its incredible majesty and more and more remembering like, Oh, somebody saying, you know, Beethoven nine with pop lyrics or whatever, just to, yeah. I'm using a very weird, not fully thought out example, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, competitions can be, if you're willing to play that game, they can be a way of putting yourself out there. You certainly will get noticed by, you know, presenters and by, by agents, I guess, and that sort of thing, which is another crazy ball of wax yeah. <laughs> but now um, kind of worms you know but um michael the the one thing that also fascinates me a lot is that um usually a, a musician can take the instrument with but with pianists you have to go without your piano so you have to adjust every time to a different piano mm -hmm. yeah yeah it it's 
it, it's very gratifying and also very frustrating at times because sometimes you're given an incredible concert quality piano and other times you're hacking away what seems like in someone's garage. But it's our job to transcend the instrument as much as possible to get to that ideal of whatever the sound you think it needs to be for whatever music you're playing and to put yourself in a, uh, put yourself aside as far as a focal point and just mm -hmm. to be concerned with how do I surmount whatever the obstacles this piano is throwing up to reach these possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we, we just have to become adept at sussing out an instrument's secrets. Mm. And, and I, I'm pretty good at doing that. Like I can do that pretty quickly. I don't, I'm not one of those people that needs 10 hours on a piano in order to. Really? Yeah. I want to, to, to ask you out. now if you, if you can just go and sit in front of the piano and feel it and, and get on with it. Yeah, generally I, uh, some pianos throw up different obstacles that are sometimes weird. And it's, oh, that key. Well, and then there are obviously things like you have a, a key that's actually broken or something like that. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm not talking about those sort of outlying situations, but in a, on a normal, well-maintained piano, uh, yeah, I can just, I just sort of play a little bit and I'm figuring out, okay, so it's this kind of action. And it's also the space, obviously the acoustic yeah. you're working with. Uh, is, is part of it because the acoustic can make the instrument feel different, which is really strange. I, I don't know how people do it when they bring like a violinist who brings their violin with them everywhere or a flutist, how they feel their instrument may or may not change based on the space that they're in at the time. Oh, but, yeah. mm. but on the piano, I don't get to try that because I've never played the same piano in, or at least I can't, if I have, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all, it's all related. It's all, you know, the, whether the piano and the space, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly what, but there are ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something that, um, that I never, well, that I recently started thinking about is, is this fact, you know, that your instrument is really static. That is not something you can mm. carry around with you. But Ma Michael, yeah. um, Tell me now, what, what are the wishes now for you for the future or the plan? Boy, you or know, this might sound silly. The dream. Well, this might sound silly, but again, from having been immersed in music for so long and practicing or playing the piano from such an early age, I never questioned it. I always just wanted to get better and better at it. And so, and, and maybe partially because I come from sort of a blue collar background I don't have artists, uh, performing artists in my family. Well, my dad was in a rock bands for a while, but like cover bands and they weren't really trying to make, they weren't trying to get on the tonight show kind of thing to, uh, to my understanding. Uh, and my mom is just an artist for her sort of hobby. And so my point being that I didn't have people in my life who knew exactly what to do next and how to set goals other than my music teachers which the, and those goals were more like, well, okay, you have to have these per pieces learned by this time for this recital or this concerto engagement or whatever. And so it's only been recently that I've been actually trying to think of like, what do I want my life to look like in five years or 10 years or something like that. And so I don't know. I, I really, I will always hopefully keep getting better at piano, keep getting better at music as sort of vague as that phrase sounds. 
uh, my just deepening understanding and deepening care and commitment. And also though, try these other things. Like I want to do more conducting. I'm trying to look for those opportunities. Um, and acting is so fun and very related, which is why I wanted to sort of explore that a bit in the beginning anyway, just to find, cause I'm like, I know there are these parallels between what the performing music and acting and, uh, and writing and composing and, and all these things. And so to sort of find those points of intersection has been super enlightening and interesting. And interesting. I can so, I can so totally see you acting. I, it's, I don't know why it's just, you, you have something that I can just totally see that acting can be a, a thing for you. Uh, well, I, I, I'm very new with it still, but I, I really just, I'm, I'm trying to get some more experience with that. I want to do some film work. I've done only a little stage work so far. Um, and I, it's awesome and totally life transforming, but, uh, yeah, just, just trying to do these things and I actually like trying to formulate a sort of five year or 10 year plan or something like that. It's just, it's, I'm working on it. So. <laughs> but it's amazing. I love that you are so open to do these things, you know, that you really just uh, get on with it and, and have that mindset that, like you say, like your mom said, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. But I, I love this energy of yours. Well, thanks. I, I you yeah. know, I'm just, I mean, we're all on this journey together, right? And and just we've got to figure out what this is, what's, what this is all about. And, and hopefully we're doing something we love and, or at least have an outlet if that's not the main thing that we're doing, yeah. you know? I mean, I think <sighs> some people can, can do one thing in their life and, and be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And, and I think other people mm -hmm. just have to do different things. And, um, yeah, just an example, my daughter is a ballet dancer and she also decided to, um, make a change and it's just like that idea of there's something else out there that she would like to explore and I think it's mm -hmm. so wonderful if you have that you know that if if you can go and and explore I think life is is so rich and and there's so much to do that you can do it so I think it's wonderful that you have that outlook no, I love it. I, and, and again, I love exploring the the similarities and the differences between these art forms, mm -hmm. uh, and in 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 terms of both the discipline and you know the craft and the actual art of it, and the, the sort of the the hard, the stuff that's hard to talk about. You know, how do we? Because it really becomes like a feeling thing after a while. It's like, yeah, music starts out as sound, but that sound gets translated pretty immediately into feeling. And how, like, how do we deal with that? And what is that? And I don't even think that's answerable, but I think just in the sort of plumbing of those depths, that's sort of how we find the answers, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it was wonderful talking to you, Michael. It, um, Thank you so much. It's wonderful talking talking to you too. Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy that I that I discovered you on Instagram. That Thomas, well, uh, Thomas I'm, I'm connected. Very us. happy you discovered. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right, Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but so um, 
whenever you come to Vienna, please let me know. I would love to meet you. Oh there. my God. Yes. Yeah. And I need, I've never been there. I need to go there. I have friends there. And one of my colleagues from Peabody, uh, Marina Piccinini lives there. And really? I, yeah, I need, I need to, I need to visit. Definitely. Well, I'm, I had a coffee with, I had a coffee with Thomas in the summer. So, um, you can also come and have a coffee. <laughs> I would. Yes. And I haven't seen him in far too long as well. That would be, yeah. well, if I will, I will definitely, uh, hit you up as they say, uh, <laughs> when I wind you up do that, do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and definitely let me know if you're ever in Baltimore. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I will definitely. Michael, thank well, you. Well, Have thank a you, lovely Petra. day. Okay. You too. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.